I said to you, that person has no boundaries, would you know what I meant? Would you have an idea what that means? If we say that a person has no boundaries, we mean that they don't have limits uh, around or controls around their life, and that can show up in lots of different ways. One of the old phrases for that kind of person is they wear their heart on their sleeve, right? They're over-emotional, tell way too much, barf on us on Facebook, uh, just rant, you know, whatever. It's just this person that wears their heart on their sleeve has no boundaries is the way, the way that we put it. Or another word that has been used over time is the person is a doormat, right? They will let anyone walk on them. So we use the, the word doormat to describe a person who's in an abusive relationship or, or gets controlled by other people and won't stop that from happening. Yes? You know what a doormat is. You don't want to be a doormat. You don't want to be that kind of a person. Emotionally, you cannot let people walk all over you. Another word that we might use for somebody who doesn't have boundaries is codependent. They're in an abusive or manipulative relationship and they won't say no to that other person. So they're being controlled because they're in fear of breaking their relationship. These people with no boundaries are easily abused or manipulated or used, run over, because they, essentially it is that, that this type of person cannot say no. They're a people pleaser. I have to keep everybody happy, so I'm spinning 87 plates. And instead of doing three things really well, I'm doing 87 things really badly. Because I'm afraid to say no, I don't have a boundary, I just let everybody run over me and everybody else gets to decide what I do with my time and my life and my money, we would say that person has no boundaries. So these people end up being overcommitted, exhausted, stretched too thin, and they feel responsible to take care of everybody and everything, and really they don't do anything very well at all. Right? It can show up, though, not in relationships, but it can show up in other lack of controls, like they don't have boundaries around what they will eat or drink or put in their body. They'll just insert anything. Or it can show up with money. They have absolutely no controls, no boundaries over what they will spend. So the hole gets deeper every month. Credit card racks up. They can't say no to themselves when they're in the clothing store or at the auto dealer or the toy store or whatever. They just have to have this stuff, and they don't have boundaries. So there's no self-control, and there's big problems. These people are terrible leaders or managers. Maybe you've worked for some. Or maybe you've had one as a pastor. I hope you don't right now. (laughs) But they're really bad leaders and managers and authority figures because they're scared to exercise authority so they lead from behind by anger and manipulation and gossip and trying to steer everything and shape it, but they won't actually just step up and make a decision and exercise authority. Are you with me? So when we say this person has no boundaries, that's what all I would include. And it can show up in different ways. Relational, with money, with food or drugs or alcohol, or just various ways like that. Ultimately, a person with no boundaries is going to hate their life because their life isn't theirs. 
everybody else gets to decide what they do with their time and their money and, and their creativity, and, and you just end up trying to keep everybody else pleased, and you end up exhausted and stressed out and stretched too thin, and, and I hate my life. A person with boundaries, though, the primary thing about that person is they can say no. They're comfortable saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that. If somebody makes a demand on their life, they're comfortable placing a boundary out there saying, no, you can't walk all over me. No, you can't tell me what to do. No, I'm not available to do that. The person who is comfortable saying no is a very comfortable person. Uh, Some of you need to learn how to say yes, but for those who are bound up in timidity and fear of people, the most freeing thing you can do is have a boundary and say no. People who have boundaries are not easily taken advantage of, they're not easily abused or used because they're totally comfortable dictating their own schedule and their own spending and their own activities. And yes, there are 87 things in town that would be very good for me to volunteer at, but I'm only going to do two. And I understand that the other 85 of them need to get done, but not by me. They're good stuff. I'm not saying uh, no to what you're doing. I'm just saying, no, I'm not going to be a part of your committee. I'm not going to be a part of your team. I'm not going to do that. Whatever. I'm not talking about defying your boss or you know, some other parental authority or whatever. I'm just saying just, just setting boundaries. Just in relationship where somebody wants to always be abusive or controlling or at some point you just have to say, I'm not going to allow this anymore. And I don't care if you get mad. Hello? I am shutting the gate. And I am going to live inside my fenced lawn and you are not. And guess what? There's peace. At least on the inside of your lawn. (laughs) There's peace. These people are wisely private. It doesn't mean they're unfriendly or unsociable or rude or cold or unwelcoming. It's just... I don't have to bear my life to you. I have boundaries. And I decide who my closest friends are, and I don't just blab everything that I'm going through and my troubles and my good things to the whole world on Facebook. I just, people who have boundaries are, are certainly not at all unfriendly, but I just, I'm picky on who I say yes to and who I don't. Are you with me? So the people without boundaries are doormats. The people who uh, have boundaries, at their front door, they have a welcome mat, but they also have a lock on their door. I have a welcome mat. Yes, come on in. Let's talk. Let's be friends. Let's know each other. Let's be in relationship or whatever that is. Uh, But when it's time, I shut the door and lock it and no, you may not come in. The doormat just lets anybody else walk and demand and make Make demands of your time, and the, the person with the welcome mat, but a lock on the door, has a boundary. I'm in my house for the night, and no, you may not come in. I'll deal with you tomorrow. Right? That's a boundary. That's, that's setting a boundary. People who have boundaries are at ease. They're comfortable in their own skin. They're not worried about pleasing everybody else. All you're worried about is doing the right thing. The opposite of people-pleasing is not not caring what people think. We totally care about people. We love people. And in fact, Jesus demands that we serve people to the point of our own self-sacrifice. But I give it. I don't let it get robbed. Hello? There are demands that I have in this job, and you all have them with 
family members or crazy co-workers or whatever situations where, where people demand that you give them love and care and money and time. And the person with boundaries might still give those, but I choose when to and I choose when not to. And I do it to Jesus, not because you demanded of me. So the person who has boundaries is not worried about pleasing everybody else. I am only concerned with, in this relationship, in this situation, what is the right thing? What is the godly thing? What is the righteous thing? The person who has boundaries is rested and at ease. Because they have boundaries around their diet, they're not sick. Because they have boundaries around their finances, they're not worried about their car getting repossessed. They're not worried about the credit card statement coming in the mail this month. Boundaries equals freedom. Hello? If you have a fence around yourself, you are free. If you have no fences, you are not free. It's exactly the opposite of what the world would tell you. Our goats are safe inside the pen. If they get outside the pen, there's big trouble. Fences are there for a reason. There's real freedom because there's joy and peace and relaxation and ease when I have self-control, when I have order in my life, when I have boundaries, that's when I'm safe. The storm Monday night blew one of our gates open and we were out in Malawa County and didn't know it and our goats were out in our garden for six hours. I know, I know, I know that I'm not supposed to, I am always going to get tested on what I preach on. I never should have mentioned our fruit trees. They killed two of our fruit trees. They skinned three more of them as high as they could reach. I don't know what's wrong with the peaches. They didn't touch the peach trees. Uh, must not like them, but they, they ate the lettuce off and the cauliflowers and they pulled up peppers and, uh, yeah. I know better than to preach on something if I don't want it to get hit. But all those dumb things. And they're always reaching through the fence and they're growing horns. The babies are growing horns now and they get stuck in the fence and just morons. Just stay in the fence where it's safe. There's a million blades of grass in that pasture and they've got to have the one outside the fence. Is that not people? There's a reason why Jesus said goats go to hell and sheep go to heaven. We've done both and those goats are a pain in the butt. Oh. Okay, so it, it, it is amazing. They, they have a lot full of grass, but they have to reach through the fence, push the wire as hard as we can, and reach that blade of grass that is 18 inches out there. That's the one I have to eat right now. Okay. It's so, it's so human nature. It just so is. Okay, boundaries protect us. Fences equal freedom. Fences equal freedom. The world says, cast off restraint, throw off your boundaries, and you can do whatever you want, and that's freedom. And no, God says, no, stay in my boundaries, and you will be safe, you'll be free, you'll be at peace, you'll have joy, you'll have health, you'll have prosperity, and if you get outside my fence, the wolves will tear you up. Fences equal freedom. Some of you may have seen this on my Facebook months ago. It says, a garden must have fences. For a garden or a park or a wilderness area to exist, it must have defined boundaries. This is the Eagle Cap Wilderness Area, and this is not. Right? There's a line. There has to be a line where there's a boundary. If, if you have a garden, for the garden to be a thing at all, everything else has to be not the garden. Right? If you have a special 
park a special place that you enjoy in the world that has to be defined. Your home has to be a place that has definition or you don't have a home. Hello? Uh, this is the Grand Ronde Valley and the Baker people got their thing going on over there. There's a, there's a, a boundary. This is what is the Grand Ronde Valley and everything else is not. This doesn't mean everything else is bad. It just has to have a definition or it isn't a place at all. Your home has to have property lines. There's the phrase, good fences make good neighbors. It's totally true. In your relationships and on your property, there's got to be a line that everybody agrees on. This is mine and that is yours. And that's very healthy relationships. Fences equal freedom. Borders equals order. Fences equals freedom. Good fences make good neighbors. When I mentioned the, you know, your front door has a welcome mat and a lock, I'm talking about your house, but I'm also talking about your soul. You, you can be welcoming to people and have friends and invite people in and take care of people, but got to have a lock on that door too. And not just anybody can come in whenever they want and, and raid your cupboards and rob you blind. Proverbs has something to say about this, about borders, boundaries, fences. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight, Solomon says, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Another translation says, Do not remove an ancient boundary stone which was put in place by your ancestors. They didn't have wire fences or picket fences in the Bible days. They used rocks to mark the corners of people's property. The Native Americans did that. There's a a stone still today on the mountain above Minam that is the corner of the Nez Perce territory set up by old Joseph, Chief Joseph's father. And they made his mark on it, and it was to let all the other tribes know you're entering Nez Perce territory. And there was other corners that they marked out, but those have either been lost or not found or whatever. But there's a fairly well-known one on, the mountain, on Smith Mountain above Minam. So when Solomon and God tell the ancient Israelites, don't move the boundary stone, they're meaning don't steal your neighbor's property by moving it six feet over to the side. It's a lot harder today to move a post and wire fence than it would be to move a rock. But for us, what does that mean? It means that when our forefathers and our foremothers said, this is a boundary, don't cross it, God says, don't move it. I'm talking about morality, moral boundaries. God's law boundaries, the definition of what is right and wrong, what our ancestors did and set up and built and what our mothers and fathers taught us was right and wrong. When they say this is the boundary, do not move it. Because God and they knew what they're doing. Hello? Don't move a boundary stone. You've got to have a border because you're only free if you have a fence. America needs some boundaries. America has become a nation with virtually no boundary whatsoever. If we were to define America as a person, that would be a seriously screwed up person. Would it not? Let's just use the Statue of Liberty. Let's just make her the personification of America. If what America is now 
is represented in one woman, Lady Liberty. That is a really, really messed up woman. She has thrown off the boundary of marriage. Then she threw off the boundary of heterosexuality. Now she's throwing off the boundary of biological sex. And she will do anyone or anything. And the children that result, she kills them by the millions for finances and convenience. She is more guilty of blood than any person, nation, in world history. Tens of millions of murders. She will eat and drink and smoke and inject anything into her body. She is a financial disaster like has never existed in world history. She absolutely refuses to work for her money, but she will spend every other nation's money to the tune of $20 trillion. She will enslave the rest of the world with her own debt. And there is a financial disaster coming on her of national and personal debt. And she is a woman who has absolutely no border around her. She is the world's doormat. I was getting a lot of amens, and now it's really quiet. Be a person with boundaries. We need to be a nation with boundaries. It is just as sick and twisted and dysfunctional for a nation to have no border as it is for a person to have no border. And the exact same problems exist on a society-wide national scale when we move the ancient boundaries. When God called Nehemiah, he told Nehemiah, my city is in ruins, I want you to go and build a wall around it because my people are unprotected, there is no border, there is no safety, there is no order, there is no protection. So Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, is about Nehemiah going and building a wall around Jerusalem. And all the people of God went to build the wall. And Satan's people opposed it. Viciously. They wanted to use and abuse the borderless nation. They had a satanic agenda to keep the wall down and the gates open. They were outsiders that hated Israel. They didn't want organization and order and protection to come to Jerusalem. So they used all sorts of schemes and attempts to shut down Nehemiah from building the wall. It says they published an open letter to the nations. What is that? It's a newspaper. It's the press. Where they accused him again and again and again and again of things he didn't do and didn't say. Trying to distract him. They conspired to create confusion, is the Bible words. They conspired to create confusion. He was constantly criticized and lied about. They accused the leader and his nation and his city. They even brought God into it. They said, it's God's will that there be no wall. And today, as our boundaries, I'm not talking about just our national borders, but I am talking about that, but I'm talking about our moral borders. There's a lot of people screaming that this is Christianity. We have to accept this and love this and approve of this and do all this stuff. This is God. And they condemn those who want boundaries as ungodly and unchristian. But probably worse than Sanballat and Tobiah, who are the enemies of God and the enemies of the Israelites, 
probably worse than them, there are continually, through the book of Nehemiah, there are bribes and conspiracies of people, Israelites, living in Jerusalem who are paid and bribed by the enemies of God to fight Nehemiah, to lie about him, to lie to him, to conspire against him. There are people, Jews, living in Jerusalem, fighting what their governor is doing. Call them sleepers or insiders, traitors, stooges, tools, double agents, whatever. They lived in Israel, but they didn't love Israel. And as Nehemiah discovers the bribes and the conspiracies and the sins, he, he says, I removed it from before my face. There are a lot of people in America that don't love America. There are a lot of Christians in America that don't love America. And I'm here to talk to you specifically this morning. I really hope to set you at peace. For some of you, this is going to be the most, well, duh, kind of sermon I've ever preached. And then others of you are going to leave really upset. (laughs) I hope just thoughtful, but I don't know. We'll see. Those of you over 60 will probably wonder why I even have to talk about this stuff, but don't blame the younger folks because it was your generation that did it to us. There are a lot of Christians who love Amer- don't love America. They blame the sins of the past. Um, they criticize our government and especially our history. They feel guilty about being an American. They think that patriotism might be a sin because I'm, since I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, I'm probably not supposed to be proud to be an American. I'm not sure if that's okay. There are entire denominations that teach that patriotism is wrong, saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag is wrong, participating in voting or the military is wrong. And then there's other people on the far end of the other spectrum that you wonder if America is their God instead of God. That there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but, but I, I, I'm not sure. That the, that the cross is their banner, I think it's maybe the American flag. But that's not who I'm here to talk about this morning, because personally, I don't know of any of those in the room. I just want to address, is it okay for us to say, God bless America? Is it okay to celebrate on Tuesday? Is it okay to love our country and to bless our country? Some of you are like, of course. But there's a lot of really confused people. There really are. You've heard me say this before, and it's totally true that God is not an American. But he isn't Chinese or Messiah or Brazilian or French or Arab or Jewish either. So is nobody supposed to be proud of their heritage in their country if it's wrong for us to do talking about to those of you who feel that it might be is it wrong for a jewish person to be proud that they're jewish or brazilian or italian or whatever else that's a that's a common thing that's brought up well god isn't an american you're right he isn't anything as far as our nationalities but he loves every nation and he made every one of them And he chose you to be an American. Do you love God's choice for you or not? Okay. And as for the sins of America's past, there's plenty. There's a laundry list of them. The first question is, what nation doesn't have a whole history of sin? There is not a righteous nation anywhere. None. Jeremiah 16, 19 says, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Let's just start with that. Let's just say that the history of America does have 
worthlessness and unprofitable things in it. Some. That does not make our nation worthless and unprofitable. There is no nation in the world that does not have sins in their past. We're not more to blame than anybody else. I am not so naive as to think that America is perfect in our past or our present. I am not naive. But hand-wringing about the past doesn't do any good. Let's just look at the three most often brought up egregious sins of the past. Slavery, Indian treaties, and women's rights. Let's just talk about those three that the liberals want us to talk about all the time. Okay? There is no sin that has been atoned for with more blood than American slavery. More white people died to set the slaves free than there were slaves to set free. I, in no way is it defensible. I'm not arguing that it's okay. I, it's, it was evil and hideous. I'm saying we fixed it. I'm not saying we fixed race relations. I'm saying we fixed slavery. We did the right thing. 150 years ago. It's time to get moving past it. Our ancestors, most of us, fought on the right side of that combat. Yes, it was a hideous system. It was evil. It was from hell. And a lot of righteous, great people died to end it. Stop bringing it up. Women's rights, yes. Women didn't have the right to vote or other things in history. That's all been fixed. It's all been fixed. There really isn't anything else to say about that. Bringing up the sins of the past doesn't do any good. Especially when it's been corrected at a legal level. Regarding the Indian treaties, there's no question that the United States betrayed Indian nation after Indian nation would sign a treaty and then break it and reduce their land, move them off here and there. The stuff that was done was wicked and evil. But there have been numerous congressional and state and church resolutions apologizing. And reparations have been paid. And there have been numerous Christian gatherings, ministries. In fact, the latest one was last fall where there was a gathering led by Nigel Bigpond, who is a, an apostolic Native American leader, he organized Christian Native American leaders from every known tribe in America to go to Washington and forgive the U.S. government for what they did in the past in Jesus' name and say, let's be reconciled and move on. I'm not at all excusing anything. I'm just saying at some point you can't pay back what was done. You just have to move forward. And the people who want to continually bring up the sins of the past have an agenda. They want to use us. They want to divide us for political reasons. They want to foment hatred between the races, between the sexes, between different groups so that they can use one or all for their own benefit. Criticizing our forefathers is a grievous sin. Regardless of their mistakes or ignorances or their evil decisions. Honor your father and mother. Those who perpetuate unforgiveness only do it to divide us for their own political gain. 
So the United States in the past 70 years has become something that is hard to be proud of. But not because of the sins of the past, it's because of the sins of our present. Which are led by those who self-righteously condemn the sins of the past. If there was anybody in the Bible who could identify with our position in what I have just said, it is the Jews of Nehemiah's day. If anybody had wicked forefathers, it's them. Hello? God had... All through 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, God had continually given them chance after chance to repent. And they, they continually worshipped idols. They sacrificed their children. They turned from God. They made treaties with other nations. And so finally God brings Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and he destroys uh, Israel and Judah. And for 70 years they're in exile. And the book of Nehemiah is the return of Nehemiah and the Jews from exile to come to Jerusalem and they're rebuilding their country and reestablishing righteousness in their nation. And if anybody could understand our scenario, looking back at America's history and saying, yeah, we got some pretty big sins, and we do, but their forefathers were satanically wicked, evil, evil people claiming to be godly. They were evil. What did they do? They held a big assembly and they repented before God they rebuilt their city, they rebuilt the temple, and they moved forward. They didn't wring their hands about, oh, it was so terrible. No, we're reestablishing righteousness, we're bringing revival. Come on. For the Old Testament Jewish person, they only lived for two things, God and country. They loved their God and they loved their land, their nation. And it is not wrong for us today to love God and country. That is not idolatry. It's not unchristian to love America. It is not idolatry. Do not be lied to. We are the people of God. We are the citizens of the holy nation, the people of the kingdom of heaven. But in the kingdom of heaven, there is forever in eternity every nation, tongue, and tribe. So guess what? You will be an American forever. <laughs> Even in heaven, you will be an American. Hello? Every nation, tongue, and tribe is represented in heaven. Does God want you to curse and criticize and be ashamed of your country? Or does he want you to be a blessing? Come on. Yes, our allegiance to Jesus is higher than any other earthly allegiance. And our allegiance to the cross is higher than the American flag. But we're Americans. It's okay to love America. It's home. This is home and everything else isn't. We have a border. We have a boundary. We're not just citizens of some imaginary kingdom out there we call the kingdom of heaven. We're Americans too. Be people with a border. Be people with a boundary. It's okay. It's godly. Not having boundaries is ungodly. It is in fact satanic. For a person and for a nation. It is totally okay to love God and country. Yes, we are the people of God first. We are the holy nation the kingdom of heaven. But in the kingdom of heaven, we're not going to lose our identity. Every nation, tongue, and tribe will be represented. You will be more you in heaven than you are right now. Whatever your ethnic heritage is, whatever your language, whatever tastes and and, uh, expression God has given you and your people, you will be more that in heaven than you are right now. Not less. We're not all going to become alike in some definitionless mush. There is going to be beauty and color, and flavor, and difference, distinction in heaven. 
you'll like the same foods. You'll like the same music. Your ethnic and your heritage and your cultural expression is going to be you forever. It's who God made you to be. And he loves it. It's the way God wants it. It's the way Jesus will keep it. So love your country. Be a blessing to your nation. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to every nation. And then Romans tells us we are the spiritual children of Abraham when we come into faith in Jesus Christ. So Abraham has spiritual children in every single nation. In the world. Abraham has sons and daughters. And what are those sons and daughters supposed to be doing? Blessing their nation. That's God's promise from three and a half thousand years ago. And here we are. Millions of the children of Abraham supposed to be blessing our nation. But instead we're cursing it, being ashamed of it, speaking bad. Be a blessing to your country. God bless America. But Mitch, shouldn't we be blessing every nation? Yes. Yes. The children of Abraham are to be a blessing to every nation. But not for us individually, not in a way that condemns patriotism for your own home. Have a boundary. This is home. That is not. We have a welcome mat on our front door, but we also need a lock. America cannot be the doormat of the world. We can be the welcome mat of the world, but there's a time when you shut the door every night. Hello? We have extremely generous, gracious immigration laws if they're just enforced. But they've got to be enforced. We've got to have a boundary. And quit being trampled and calling it Christian. It's not. It's not Christian to not have boundaries. Well, this is the godly Christian thing to do. No, Jesus doesn't want a person or a nation overrun with more than they can handle. There's got to be self-control and boundaries and say no. It's okay to say no. So, yes, we bless every nation. Yes, absolutely. But not in a way that our home isn't special. So Mexican Christians can love Mexico more than they love U.S. Italian Christians can love Italy more than they love the U.S. Great. I love America more than anywhere else. Great. The Chinese can love China. Awesome for them. It's their home. They should. Every nation, tongue, and tribe. Millennials, which are people under 30, let's just cut it off at that. In the latest uh, survey that I saw, by by 40%, millennials um, living in America, they do not identify as Americans. They identify as citizens of the world. 40% of Americans in that age group don't like to consider themselves Americans. They consider themselves citizens of the world. Do you see that that's no boundaries? I don't have a home. I don't have a border around me. I'm just, I live everywhere. I'm part of everything. I'm open. I'm loving. I'm accepting. I'm unconfrontational. I'm not competitive, so I'm not patriotic. I'm peaceful. I love everything the same and everyone the same, and I have no boundaries. I welcome anyone and everyone to come impose on me. I don't say no to anyone or anything. I say yes to whatever lunacy comes to hand. And is that not happening? G.K. Chesterton, who was a British preacher 100 years ago, and uh, the original blogger, he wrote a daily column in a London newspaper, 
If you don't know the name Chesterton, you need to know it. He said, it is obvious that there is a great deal of difference between someone who is international and someone who is cosmopolitan. He's using the word cosmopolitan in the way we would say citizen of the world or borderless, no borders, no wall kind of a person. All good men are international. All bad men are cosmopolitan. He says, if you are international, you must be national. International peace means a peace between nations, not a peace after the destruction of nations. There is an agenda to destroy the nations of the world. And it is from hell. Internet, but world peace is not the destruction of nations, it is a peace between nations. He says, the Buddhist peace is the destruction of personality. But the Christian heaven is a place where people love each other, not the heaven of the Hindu where the, everyone will be each other. Hello? Buddhists and Hindus believe that we're all going to lose our identity and enter nirvana, become one with the cosmos. The Christian heaven is, you're going to be more different from everybody else there than you are here. You're going to be more distinct in exactly who God made you to be. Without fear, without doubt, you're going to be who you are even more clearly. But you will live in perfect love and relationship with everyone else. And we will truly be one. He says, in the case of national character, this can be seen in a curious way. A man who really appreciates and admires the soul of another people, the less he will attempt to imitate it. He will be conscious that there is something too deep and too unmanageable to imitate. The Englishman who has a fancy for France will try to be French, but the Englishman who admires France will remain ostensibly English. Basically, he says... You can't just decide to be some other nationality. You are who you are. So our job is to love and admire other cultures and nations, not try to make everyone just one definitionless mush of humanity. So you can love and admire and thoroughly enjoy other cultures and countries. You may see real ways in which other cultures and countries have strengths and righteousnesses where we have sins and weaknesses. You can... it's. Totally right to admit those things. But to be cosmopolitan, to be international to the extent of repudiating love for your own country first is to be borderless and boundaryless to the point that you have no home. And that is the greatest evil that has yet come upon the earth. Nationalism has caused some sins in the past, but the disloyalty and cowardice and self-righteous criticisms of those who hate America while trying to destroy it the wicked children who judge their fathers and mothers while tearing down the great things they built, the traitors who claim to be Americans but are removing all the boundary stones of law and history and morality are the greatest force of evil yet unleashed from hell upon America. I mean that with all my heart. Today's godless people who self-righteously condemn Columbus and President Washington and President Jackson and General Robert E. Lee and General Custer have more blood on their hands by a million times, by tens of millions of times, than anybody who owned a slave or fought in the Indian Wars. I'm not saying any of that was right. I'm saying the people who judge them are way more guilty of blood. Because our world today is not progressing. Our world is degressing very, very quickly. It is not progress. Mitch, you're being awfully strong. Believe me, I'm being very, very gracious and self-controlled in what I say. 
for the Christian. We claim to be the people of love. That includes loving our country. Nationalism is not a sin. Patriotism is not a sin. Loving our nation is this. Nationalism is like inheriting the house your father built and keeping it beautiful so you can give it to your children. That's not idolatry. It's not ungodly. Thank you, ancestors, for the great nation that you built. We admit your sins and we repent of them and we fix them. Spiritually and legally, we fix them. We don't, we're not blind to our current problems. But the point is we want to keep it nice for our kids and grandkids. Come on, it's as common sense as it gets. Love America. Pass it on to your kids and your grandkids. But on Tuesday, get excited. Be thankful. Celebrate. Model honor for our country to your kids. I said model honor for the United States to your kids. No nation is perfect. Yes, we have sins in the past. There's a lot of godliness about America your kids need to know about because they certainly aren't learning it at school. Be a person with boundaries and a home. Pray for America. Let's ask God to bring revival and restore righteousness to our nation. Let's do that right now. Bow your heads. Pray with me right now. Lord, God, we thank you for our country. We bless our nation in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for our country, for its history, for your purposes, for our ancestors, and your purposes for us, and your purposes for our great-grandkids. Lord, we want to start by acknowledging that our fathers did inherit lies and worthless things, and there are egregious sins in our past, and we repent of them in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to be righteous. We want to walk with you, and not just in American pride. But we do love our country and we want to be proud of it. Lord, we confess that we have left you, that we have sinned wickedly. We have moved the boundary stones that you and our ancestors set up. We have removed all controls and borders and said we will do whatever we want and we will have whatever we want. And Lord, we repent of that now in Jesus' name. We repent of overspending. We repent of consuming all the blessings that you have given us. We have consumed them for ourselves instead of saving them for our grandkids. Lord, we have cast off your commands of righteousness in sexuality and in family. We have exalted filthy women and wicked men and set them up on the screens for our kids to watch. And we have paid them bajillions of dollars to be wicked in front of us. We repent, Lord. We ask for your mercy. Lord, we have no hope except your mercy. We have squandered our inheritance and wasted our future. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for the blood of tens of millions of unborn children. Of promoting wickedness and calling it freedom. Of tearing down the fences 
that you put around us. Lord, we ask for your mercy on our country, not because we are ashamed of it, but because we love it. We ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. We ask for revival. We ask you to bring your Holy Spirit as you have in days past, like you did at Cane Ridge in Kentucky, like you did with Jonathan Edwards in Massachusetts and Connecticut and in Rhode Island. Lord, like you did with Charles Finney, like you did with so many of the great leaders and movements of the past, Lord. You brought righteousness and you restored your salvation to our people and you set us free from alcohol and from broken families and from sexual lies. Lord, we ask for that again. We ask for your blessing on our president. We ask for your blessing on our Congress. We ask for your blessing on our Supreme Court and all of the the authorities that are under those, Lord. Lord, your word says that your the heart of the king is like a river in your hand and you direct it wherever you want, Lord. So we ask for your will to occur in the presidency of Donald Trump, Lord. We ask for whatever your purpose is for his life and his presidency is we ask for you to accomplish those. No one else's, Lord. Not what we think it should be, not what he thinks it should be, certainly not what evil men and women think it should be, Lord, but what you think it should be. Accomplish your purposes, Lord. You said you, you possess all authority and you give it to whomever you will. Lord, we talked about that before the election, that should it be Clinton or Trump, whatever it is, it would be your will and we would trust you. So we trust you now. We bless our president. We ask you to protect his life. We ask you to protect your purposes for him. Lead him into relationship with you, Lord, and make him righteous. Save his soul and guide his mind. Silence the voice of the accuser. Silence the voice of the liar and the one who's been bribed to speak lies into his ear. Lord, we ask that the laws that come from Congress would be righteous, that our nation would be one that protects life, that legislates godliness, Lord, and doesn't allow laziness, wickedness, and sin. Lord, the decisions from our courts would not be contrary to your court. You are the judge of all judges. We ask that your decisions would reign. Lord, we bless our local leaders and authorities, the school boards, the city leaders, the county leaders, our state leaders, Lord, our own representatives here, Greg Barreto, Greg Walden, and our senators, Lord. And we ask for all, for all of these people who have taken on this yoke, that you have put them in this situation, in this position, Lord. We ask that your will would happen. Lord, we bless our country. We thank you so very much for the blessings that you have given us. Thank you for the righteousness that we have enjoyed. Forgive us for complaining, for being unthankful. We want to be the sons and daughters of Abraham who bless our nation. We thank you for what we celebrate this weekend. For your work in our country, in our lives. Lord, we trust the present and the future to you. We present ourselves to you, Lord, to be agents of your revival and your righteousness. To contend for your kingdom above all else. To see our nation righteous and blessed. To see our neighbors saved and free 
and healed. In Jesus' name, amen.